You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. podcast cinema geekly's star trek podcast chief petty officer anthony lewis here along with the fleet admiral ben knight uh ben aurora was uh mid transport to this episode of i'm a doctor not a podcast but i've been told uh that her ship is currently embedded in an asteroid so uh i mean that that can happen yeah Um, we may have to send uh for some sort of rescue ship I've I've sent a small fleet out. Um, each will act as a uh, transported pattern enhancer. They'll surround the asteroid and beam her around the ship safely out of it. Oh, excellent! Uh, well, she we, should... we couldn't do that in time for this week's show, but uh, fans of um, her terrestrial uh, online streaming exploits uh, ah, yeah. will no doubt be anxious as to whether she's still going to make it, and I understand she will for Twitch. Yes, she'll, she'll make it for her twenty-four hour live stream. Uh, yeah. Twitch.tv slash Aurora Bubaloo uh, is usually the, the cheap plug I toss in on the gaming pod, but uh, since she's not That's here gonna this week... That's going to be crazy. 24 hours. Did you know what she's actually playing yet? Uh, she had put up a graphic somewhere, I think on Instagram or some, somewhere mm. like that, where she listed... There's like five or six games she's playing, plus she's got some party games with the chat lined up, and she's got a game giveaway and some other stuff. So Ooh, I'm going to check her Insta right now. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, I'm going to start talking about Star Trek Discovery, Ben, Season 2, Episode 1, called Brother. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, well, well, in that case, you'll be missing out the fact that she starts at 1 p.m. Central Time uh, and is going to be playing uh, Community Games, uh, DVD, OWMK8, Dead Cells, Slay the Spire, and more, Super Seducer, uh, and... Uh, yeah, I forgot uh, she's playing Super Seducer. Yeah. Uh, what's that? RE2 Remastered Giveaway. Ooh. And yes. there will be puppies. There will be puppies. Ah, uh, yes. TV slash Aurora Blue. Lupe and Ion, I'm sure, will make many appearances throughout the stream. Um, I think so. Okay, so uh, let's talk about uh, this uh, premiere episode of Season 2 of Discovery. Uh, and it opens with Michael Burnham essentially musing philosophically about space uh, over stuff like old-timey footage, Ben, of the Cassini probe, which is not old-timey to you us. Could, if you listened really carefully, you could hear the um, faint strains of um, uh, the theme to Enterprise somewhere yeah. in there. <laughs> she did start with a like a Space the Final Frontier thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she did not go into the the are, these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, which would have been confusing. Uh, then she recalls uh, an African folklore tale about a girl who tossed the stars into the sky. A secret, uh, a message was hidden 
within those stars, and only someone whose heart is open to the message can uncover the secret. Uh, then, we, we still don't go back to the present. We're in a flashback uh, where Sarek brings Michael to his home for the first time. She meets Amanda, uh, and uh, they go to meet Spock, but Spock is an asshole to her. Uh, mm-hmm. She tries to introduce Michael to Spock, but instead he's uh, drawing on some sort of tablet. And uh, by the way, everybody, if you weren't a fan of the technological leaps that Star Trek Discovery made that weren't things in Star Trek until like <laughs> Deep Space Nine or later, then you're not going to like this because Spock takes his drawings and throws them into the air where they turn into a holographic serpent-like creature. Um, and Michael offers her hand in greeting, but Spock slams the door in her face like a dick. Yeah. Well, this door slamming snaps us back into the present day. Discovery is right where we were uh, when last season ended, responding to a distress call from the Enterprise. Uh, Captain Pike requests to come aboard with his tactical officer and a science officer, and Saru tells Burnham to join him in welcoming them. So, uh... When Pike beams aboard, Burnham is surprised that the science officer is not Spock. It's some other guy who turns out to actually also be a bit of a dick. So it's not yeah. much of a, not much of an upgrade here. Uh, Pike tells Saru that he's there to take control of Discovery for an emergency mission. You see seven signals have suddenly popped up throughout the galaxy. They've only managed to get a lock on one, but they haven't been able to engage with it in any meaningful way. Uh, and, uh, we also know that, uh, Spock has at least spoken of Michael, at least to Pike, but to no one else ever again. Uh, so Pike at least has heard of her. Uh, Saru refuses to turn over command, uh, of discovery until Pike has gone through all the necessary, necessary security, uh, checks. Uh, this happens by the way. Uh, there's a really awkward encounter with Tilly as almost all encounters with Tilly tend to be uh but pike takes command and lets everybody know that he is not Lorca, uh and he orders them towards the location of the mysterious signal uh we catch up with paul stamets in his lab uh watching an old message from hugh colber when tilly interrupts him uh and she's telling him that you know because the spore drive thingy is kind of on hold right now uh he was gonna move her uh, she was going to move his lab uh, to some place. Um, said something about being drunk with power. She said that she had moved some girl into like a, a maintenance closet and that he can take her lab space. She's like, I'm drunk with power. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Stamet says, no, 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 no need. Uh, he says he's leaving Starfleet Academy. He was offered a teaching position at the Vulcan Science Academy. Uh, and he's accepted uh, because Discovery, it's too painful for him uh, to stay on uh, Discovery, which is understandable. Uh, Tilly tries to talk him out of it, but he's kind of made up his mind on this. Or has he? I mean, for right now, it seems like he's made up his mind, but I have a feeling uh, his mind hasn't been made up yet. Um. Uh, so Burnham has some more flashbacks about Spock and Alice in Wonderland. Uh, she's interrupted by Sarek coming to her door. 
He's leaving to join a task force for studying the signals. He's already reached out to High Chancellor Lorel of the Klingon Empire and confirmed that the Klingons are as in the dark about these signals as Starfleet are. Uh, so, uh, as they drop out of... Uh, they reach the location of the signal, they drop out of warp, and uh, they're in the path of an interstellar asteroid, which is breaking up. Uh, they try to... Uh, they, they try to move closer. They eventually, uh, as they're doing this, they discover... This is crazy, Ben. I, we were just talking about how Aurora's ship was caught in an asteroid, and weird enough, uh, in this show, they mm. their scanners detect a ship that appears to be embedded into this asteroid. This goes to show asteroids spin around forever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they didn't find their red thingy, the red dot, uh, Pike was up. He's like, God damn it. Where's my red thing? I wanted a red thing. Uh, but there was no red thing. Uh, instead, they discover the medical frigate, the USS Hiawatha, uh, on the asteroid. It was thought lost months ago during the war. Pike gives the order to prep a landing party. And uh, Tilly, before they leave, Tilly tells Burnham that Stamets is leaving. Um, but she also says that the spores are acting, reacting real weird to this asteroid. Uh, in fact, doing so in a way that she hasn't seen since they had the tardigrade on board. Uh, Burnham, Pike, and science officer Connolly, that would be the aforementioned Dick. Uh, Can I point out that Connolly, I think they're, they're creating a new thing. You know, the obviously the age-old red shirts die first thing. Indeed. Um, and everyone saw a red shirt and everyone probably said, mm, yeah, she's going to be dead by yeah. the end of it, especially yeah. seeing as Tactical know, Officer Nan, yes. Yeah, yes. and we meet her straight after someone talks about whether someone's about to die on an away mission. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a new clue now. No longer will it be red shirts that are the indicator. It'll be if the character's name, Connolly in this case, is the same as the actor who plays him, whose name is also Connolly. Whoa. That is very much a case of, yeah, we couldn't even be bothered. <laughs> I want to now watch for every bit of body count in this season of Discovery and I make just, sure that everyone who dies has got the same name as the actor. I just figured if they're very outwardly assholish to somebody, it's like, no way they make it through the episode. Like, very Yeah, but Kirk survived. Oh, that's true. And that, that was like yeah. him the whole time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Burnham, Pike, Connolly, and Tactical Officer Nan suit up and get into some pods designed for use in gravitational environments. And uh, they are flying through the uh, the asteroid field, or the broken up pieces of the... It's not really an asteroid field, but uh, for all intents and purposes, it kind of is. They're flying through broken up asteroid. Uh, the uh, gravitational field is messing with the pod's nav, so the teams try to take manual control... Burnham warns Connolly that his field is too wide, and uh, he's like, you know what, I know more about you, and now I'm going to start monologuing, and oh shit, I'm dead. <laughs> so he's done for. Pike's pot is damaged. He was like literally the only person who didn't see that coming, wasn't he? <laughs> he was the only one. I'm like, oh man, he is talking so much, he's dead. And then yeah. a couple seconds later, he's dead. Fucking uh, bye. Yeah. Pike's pod is damaged and his emergency helmet fails to seal and Burnham has a crazy idea. She says, you know what? I'm going to launch from my pod and you're going to launch Pike from his pod, Discovery. You're going to manually do it and then I'm going to catch him and then you're going to hit my boosters at the last second to uh, prevent us from crashing and dying on this asteroid. Um, and that's what they do. 
Uh, and Nan, of course, makes it safely in her pod. Uh, so they get inside uh, of the Hiawatha when they are greeted by a, a drone, which uh, leads them to the person who created the drone, Commander Jet Reno, who is not Janet Reno, which is the name I heard originally. Um, so, I mean, maybe still she is some long-lost relative of that former political figure in the United States, but it is not. It's Jet Reno, played by Tig Notaro. Um, she's the engineer of the Hiawatha, and there are still a few crew members alive, which she basically used her engineering skills to kind of keep them alive. She says that, she's going to be replacing Stamet imminently. Yeah. Um, she says, you know, the body is just like another type of machine, which it is. Uh, she says also she reads. So apparently she's a super smart engineer who was able to use her engineering skills to keep these people alive, or at least alive enough that they could transport could, them back to the Discovery. When, when she said that, all I could think of was um, the George Takai, uh, or the imaginary George Takai in the back of the car in Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm where him and, um, I've forgotten the name, from Battlestar Galactica are giving advice on how to uh, um, get into whoever it was, his pants. And she talk, and he talks, he's talking about wooing her. Ah, yes. Um, Battlestar Galactica, Galactica woman says, um, well, you know, what on earth would you know about that? His response is just, I read. <laughs> For some reason, that's always now in my head whenever I hear someone say that. Sorry, it's Star Trek related. Um, so they are setting up, this is again, really crazy, Ben, uh, transport enhancers, Mm -hmm. uh, it's very similar to what we talked about earlier, uh, to help beam these people off, uh, Discovery is of course taking some damage, getting close enough to be in transporter range. Uh, Burnham, uh, and <laughs> just getting close enough by having their shields down. Did did anyone think Saru not having his finest um, command moment there? Yeah, where well, he said he goes, "Oh shit, shit, shit!" <laughs> yes, <laughs> didn't think about that. Um, yeah, uh, things start collapsing around Burnham. She's the last one to leave. Um, she gets knocked unconscious by some falling debris, and when she wakes up, she has burning shrapnel sticking out of her leg. That sounds awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she sees a silhouette of a mysterious figure, uh, a red angel, if you will, Ben, although I have a feeling it won't turn out to be that later. Mm. Uh, And as it appears to get closer, it turns out to be Pike or something. Pike shows up to rescue her. Burnham grabs a sample of the asteroid for Tilly, but it falls from her hands when they're transported away. And uh, in sickbay, Burnham tells Tilly about this which means the asteroid can't be fully made of baryonic matter. So this could be a big scientific discovery. Burnham has already come up with a plan to retrieve a sample before the pulsar. Uh, by the way, that we forgot to mention, the asteroid is falling towards a pulsar, which is going to destroy it. Um, so before the pulsar destroys it, Burnham has a plan, which basically involves uh, putting a gravity thing a gravity tech thing in the shuttle bay and essentially discovery is going to swallow up a piece of asteroid and uh, this gravity tech thing is going to keep it from falling through the deck plating presumably uh and uh and that and that goes well and tilly is very satisfied uh ga maths yes uh so pike takes command of discovery uh, 
and the enter because the Enterprise is still badly damaged and it's going to take time to repair. Uh, but they must determine the origin and intent of the signals. He comments on uh, Lorca's Spartan ready room in which he finds uh, an well, it's not so Spartan because he left a, a fortune from his fortune cookies on the ground, which says not every cage is a prison, not every loss cage. eternal. Cage reference. I believe that is, in fact, a reference to the cage, yes. Uh, Burnham tells Pike that the reason she and Spock don't have a relationship uh, and she requests to go to the Enterprise to see Spock, but Pike tells her that he's actually not there. He took leave. Uh, and... Uh, She's like, look, I, I gotta go anyway. So Burnham goes to Spock's quarters aboard the Enterprise, uh, and she accesses Spock's last personal log, and he talks about how he had nightmares as a child, but his mother taught him to draw them uh, to render them powerless instead. And he says the nightmares have returned, the same vision over and over. The the red angel thing uh, is what she notices, or what Burnham discovers. So uh that's really nothing new, because that's stuff that they all sort of spelled out in the trailer. But uh, yeah. hopefully I'll be able to find a much shorter synopsis for next week, because nobody wrote out a shorter one for this week. Uh, I found much longer ones than that, Ben, and this was the shortest one I could find. So what did you think of uh, episode one? Um, well, it's, uh, it's definitely feeling more Star Trek already. Mm -hmm. uh, the they've we've now seen the beautifully kind of blended uh enterprise uh as it is in discovery and you know the way it's blended with the aesthetic of the uh, original enterprise uh tv show so mm -hmm. i quite like the way they've done that it was sympathetic without being ridiculous yeah um the i know it's about to get a big refit uh they're about to downgrade presumably the inside of the enterprise uh, during its refit, um, yes. the uh, there's a lot to like here. I mean, obviously, I think a lot of people were hoping we'd jump straight into the Spock storyline, and we have, but obviously, we, we've yet to see uh, much of him. Obviously, we've heard from him. Um, the red dot thing. So basically, we've got you a nice old treasure map trope. I think um, mm -hmm. for season two, literally um, connect the dots. Yeah, yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? Uh, Pike is surprisingly likable, I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. um, although I'm quite confused as to where he finds a cold stream in um, uh, in Southern California, but um, <laughs> it's a bizarre reference I just happened to notice in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we appear to be at least temporarily gearing up for Tig Notaro to replace Stamets, um, although I suspect that may be temporary. Uh, maybe there's room for two engineers on that ship. Perhaps. I... I mean, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like um, she's the one who's going to be temporary, because uh, I'm pretty sure they, they announced that, I mean, Wilson Cruz's name is in the opening credits, and he's Good dead, days. so um, I feel like him and Anthony Rapp are definitely sticking around, I just don't know what the... In what capacity, perhaps. What the capacity is going to be, necessarily. Yeah. Um... So, so what else? Let's see. Uh, the I, I did wonder. You know how they were in a terrible, terrible hurry to get um, off the ship and onto the asteroid, and mm -hmm. you know it was every second counts. Two things that really jumped out at me about that. One is the remarkable amount of time spent counting down to things, given that they were in such a hurry. Yes. Um, well, you have to be it's, very. It's, it's like there's, 
it's like the Spaceballs gag, isn't it? Why, why are we always preparing for stuff? Let's just do it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so there's that. And also, I love the fact that despite that, they had the chance, they had the time to go and change into um, uh, the appropriate jumpsuits. Ah, yes. Um, or possibly inappropriate jumpsuits uh, for that away mission. Um, which, given that there was a new uniform on the Enterprise, the Discovery apparently was compliant with the uniform spec. I presume they're replicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there was there was lots of amusement in this, and it did feel a little bit more like um, they were trying to extend an olive branch to um, old-school Star Trek fans, I think. Yeah. Um, there were some beautiful bits of aesthetic. Uh, the, the holographic candles in... Um, Burnham's, Burnham's quarters. Um, yeah. I, I just thought that was just marvelous because it is one of those things. Quite often in sci-fi, particularly, but the number of times you see rooms lit with you know a hundred candles, and you think, really, who who is it who's got the time to sit and do that? Yes, and so hazard on the show. Anyway, but um, I like the fact that they've dealt with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find the, the bit that grated slightly is, I mean, we've said on the show and. Uh, we are by no means unique in this that the the kind of joy of discovery running alongside the Orville yep. is that when you've had a bit too much dark discovery uh, you can bob over for a bit of you know next generation light uh, mm-hmm. courtesy of the Orville and I did get the feeling at times that some of the scenes with uh, Tilly in particular felt a bit family guy in space it, it was just a little bit too i was expecting a cutaway every now and again you know i feel um, like um because the show went a little bit lighter in its tone that until he has not changed she was sort of like the the breath of fresh air last season where yeah she when, was the comic relief definitely um but now that things are lighter a bit she stands out even more because she hasn't mm change that much i don't know i still like her but it did feel stranger for some reason because things are a little bit lighter um anyway continue with your thoughts i don't, I don't want to derail your your thought train here um well so in terms of the the plot side of it um i mean it's a standard season opener in the sense that it gives us the parameters of what we're looking forward to there's some pretty heavy foreshadowing in there mm-hmm. um but you know to be fair discovery I think the first season of Discovery is the first real time in Star Trek history where um, we've seen sort of long season arc big stories. Um, So uh, the the idea of foreshadowing in Star Trek is still fairly new. Um, There were times it felt very, very cinematic. There were times that, and not just the aesthetic, but the whole kind of the structure of the narrative all felt more like... um, more movie like than TV show like, mm. and I think it suits it. I don't have a problem with it. I think the time I'd start to get irritated is if they started to borrow from an expression from one of our other shows. If if they started double moffatting us here and there, yeah, and you know trying to be too damn clever with um, you know sort of misleading or misdirection rather over yeah. things. The seven red um, dots or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, we know we know what they are broadly supposed to be. And I'm looking forward to enjoying finding out what that means. Um, Spock, the ever attention-seeking Vulcan, um, who likes to fake his own death in order to get his best friends to look for him, is at it again. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, I guess that's the B plot. 
Uh, and yeah, it's all it's all sorted together nicely. I did think there was a lot of appeasement in this episode for those who do not like Discovery. Um, it's interesting that this time there was a bit of language in this episode, mm-hmm. and it didn't jar in the same way it did in the previous one. Right. Um, because uh, it came from um, Blue Shirt Douchebag, yep. and it felt entirely in character. It did not feel like it was weird for the particular point of the conversation. Mm-hmm. It all felt a bit more natural. Um, as opposed to, you remember, our, our issue with the first season was um, Tilly's language just felt so clumsily shoehorned in. Yeah. Um, a lot of the dialogue in this episode, particularly that of uh, Tignataro's um, character... Uh, um, Jet Reno. Jet Reno, yeah. Um, Which sounds, I by thought... the way, I want to go ahead and say that's her way more... Her actual name is Denise. Oh, is it? That's, Jet is that's, the that's nickname? That's a fact. Jet is, yeah, okay. her actual name is Denise Reno. I was going to say, um, Jet Reno is way more of a Star Wars name than a Star Trek name. <laughs> it is, isn't it? That's true. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, all, okay, all, all of the, the pieces are on the board. Um, and put there competently. Saru, I quite like the fact that he seems to... He's not lightened up at all, but um, he... Meh, he's, he's... I think it's maybe because we know a bit more about his background from the shorts and... Which was alluded in, to in this episode. It was, and also the, 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 the books as well. Uh, those, if you haven't at this stage in uh, Discovery gone back and read any of those yet there's only a few so you've not got too much catching up to do Mm -hmm. Uh, if you go back you will get a better understanding both of the Spock and Burnham um, uh, relationship and of the history of Saru so now is a really good time to go back and have a look at those Uh, I gather they are effective I don't know if they are actually canon but I would imagine having read all of them so far that they are going to try damn hard to keep them as canon as they can Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I the pieces are on the board, and I'm excited for the next episode. Uh, I really like this episode a lot too. Uh, I want to start with the comedy because you mentioned it uh, at times that it felt uh, it, for me at times it it worked, um, but they were like the less overt comedy. Uh, like the the two ladies at uh the at the helm when you know they're Burnham is planning out her her plot to save Pike from his uh dying pod and we've got this haven't we ladies and they just look at each other like fuck do do we uh, sh- yes absolutely we do uh <laughs> Detmer I really like her uh and I hope they they gave her a lot more in this episode than I think she got all of last season well, we had a kind of faith no more introduce yourself moment on the bridge, didn't we? They did because um, yeah, he was uh, that was a that was an interesting thing about Pike. He did this bit where uh, before they drop out of warp, he's like, "All right, I want a roll call." Uh, he's like, "Just go around the room." He's like, "I want names. I don't even want ranks." I love sound that, off. He said, "Yeah, yeah." I love that the part cybernetic lady was still like, "Fuck you! I like my rank. Here it is." When she said her yeah. name, uh, but everybody else was just you know dropping uh dropping their names so if you need to remember these people going forward it's going to take me some time to to catch all of their names but i I, to- right now. I totally <laughs> remember i totally remember detmer i like saru at the end is just saru J- just, just saru, saru. <laughs> i wanted him to say you know like share oh that would have been excellent yeah. um <laughs> i mean there was that moment there was a tilly when they get the asteroid in and she's like 
mathematics in action or whatever she says. Uh, this the is power awesome. of math, people. The power of math, people, and everyone kind of applauds. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was funny, but then you've got like this thing felt totally out of the Orville, but like in a this was this would have fallen flat on the Orville as well. They're in the turbo lift. This is the joke we saw in the trailer oh, with like the strange. Yeah alien creature and he's like oh i'm sick and uh he sneezes on the asshole i mean at least he sneezed on the asshole uh true but, but you know uh, like uh that was i was like uh, you really that really could have hit cutting room floor like that need to be in there well they used to do stuff like that with wharf in next gen and um ds9 yeah and uh, for some reason it i mean it was always jarred there too but for some reason michael dawn could kind of pull off the comedy stuff without it feeling like Family yeah. Guy in Space. I think it's because... That, probably the best example of the Family Guy in Space stuff, I think. Yeah, I mean, Dorn is really talented, and he's also quite excellent at doing the incredibly straight-laced, incredibly serious guy, and yeah. he, but he does have some comedic timing, so when when it's called on to do that... It's a you know the juxtaposition is what's funny because he's always so serious and here is something completely not serious happening to him, and he I mean it it just comes down to to being able to pull it off and he mm. does usually so um, I mean there was like the one time they made him go through Klingon puberty which on, in one of those movies which was less. Uh, that was less funny. That that was a movie full of less funny things. I'm pretty sure that was. I'm pretty sure on, on paper that sounded like a brilliant idea. Oh, yeah, and it did not work out that way. Data talking about how his boobs are firming up. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. I'm sure it sounded real funny in the writers' room, but <laughs> um, older ladies, I'm sure had a had a good chuckle at that one. But it didn't. It did not play. Partic- it did not play in the theater I watched it in, and it does not hold up well over time. Uh, I can confirm that. So, uh, so for the most part, though, it was it was good. There was a, a great moment. I liked the scene with Tilly and Stamets, um, where she's trying to convince him to to stay, and he says something really lovely to her because he's talking about how he knows she's going to be a good captain someday because everything she does comes from like a a place of of love Um, and she knows he knows that she's going to be a good captain one day but then he does this repeat after me I will talk less or I will say less things or something along those lines (laughs) that was uh, that was almost meta I guess because that was kind of a complaint about Tilly is that she um, she talks a lot. Uh, she's like a speed talker. Uh, I think it's one of the charms. Which we saw in action when she was um, checking uh, Pike's credentials on the bridge as well. Yes, she. Yeah, yeah she, a, she. She. She sounds a like a nervous, scene. a nervous rambler. Uh, for sure. Uh, visually, I thought this show looked stunning. Uh. Yeah especially the pod asteroid thing. I wasn't a huge fan of the sound design for those that literally, literally reminded me of the pod races from star Wars episode (laughs) one. Uh, but well, that's, that's a little harsh, but yeah, I heard those sounds and that's all I could hear were those, that sound design from that movie when those pods were, uh, like, like when it first, when it first came up, but when they got into like the whole, uh, 
like the the thrilling will they survive won't they are they going to escape from the pod are they going to avoid the debris like that all that stuff that was tremendous and cinematic uh visually speaking like that could have played in a theater and people wouldn't have thought it looked cheap or poorly done i was actually really surprised at how good everything looked uh last season i thought looked really good and i thought this was a step up from last season oh definitely definitely visually speaking i was kind of blown away i'm like where are they getting the money for this uh Maybe. Someone's pointed out there are some reused asteroids from season one in there. Uh, perhaps. Uh, it's, it was quite lovely looking. Uh, so I really like Anson Mount as Pike. Uh, he reads, he definitely doesn't feel like the Bruce Greenwood Pike. No. From the Kelvin timeline. Uh, he doesn't. Which I'm very pleased about, to be honest. Yeah, he doesn't quite. I mean, I don't dislike that Pike, but uh, he doesn't. But he also doesn't quite feel like Jeffrey Hunter. So this takes place after the Cage, correct? Yes, I think. Okay, um, so they've already gone through that uh, that whole debacle, presumably. Um, I could have swore this was before the Cage, but actually, I'm just trying to think about it. Uh... Actually, no, this must be before. Yeah, this must be before. Okay. Um, oh, that makes more sense, actually. Yeah. You know what? I think you're right, because the cage isn't more than 10 years before TOS. No, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was just having to look at the timeline. Yeah. Yeah, so this would take place before the cage. Okay, so that's just some foreshadowing for him, then. Hopefully he'll remember that fortune cookie line. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> going, going forward. Uh, but I... Uh, so maybe some things happen this season that bring him closer to what Jeffrey Hunter was like. Cause when we meet him in the, when we meet his Pike in the cage, he's much more morose uh, about things and very contemplative about his career and tired of deciding who's going to live and who's going to die, uh, that sort of thing. So I'm wondering if things this season will tie into his character in that way. I think it would be smart of them to do that. Well, he's, he's just set out a war, as we know, and yes. he's not too happy about that. And yeah, they kept um, the Enterprise out on its on its five year mission of discovery and stuff. And what we might be about to hear is how, you know, Discovery is the most depressing ship in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. There are people who would say season one gave us that impression. I like that. Uh, I really enjoy that they did the scene with the. Uh, I like the scene with the. Uh, uh, the uniforms. Uh, as well, well, because they were kind of having a bit of a back and forth about like uh, his officers are kind of like, oh man, I can see where Starfleet puts all of their pennies because Discovery is a more advanced ship than um, than Enterprise, and they're like, yeah, but at least we got the new uniforms, and they're like, ah, yes, very colorful. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you have no idea. Just wait a little bit. Things get very colorful uh, for Starfleet. Although, why was Burnham wearing a silver one? Uh, uh, not, sorry, that's in uh, as in the so when they changed to their uh, jumpsuits for the away mission, um, yes, Pike, um, man, baby, and um, headset red shirt, yeah. are all wearing uh, the color appropriate shiny as they as they do, that. yes. And Burnham's is is silver, yeah. Just seems odd. I find it weird that Discovery happened to have because the Discovery uniforms are all blue with um, or like a dark blue with like a silver or a gold 
uh, like inlay or, or something on yep. them. And they just happen to have the corresponding colors for the new uniforms. For well, like, that's what I say. Things. I think, uh, I, I suppose we're just supposed to assume that they've been replicated. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, it just seemed like a very odd thing. Do you think we see all the discovery folk in the new uniforms by the end of the season? Well, I think they will phase them in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to add a dash of color to the otherwise miserable bridge of the Discovery. Yeah, so they only showed us one piece of the Enterprise, and that was the corridor outside of Spock's quarters, literally just the wall surrounding the door, and then the interior of Spock's quarters. So it is definitely, they've not installed all of the the ceiling lights yet, because (laughs) in front of Spock's door it was still fairly dark, like it is on Discovery. Um, his room was also kind of dark, but you know, he wasn't in it at the time. So maybe no need for lighting, um, tons of like little Easter eggy things in there. His loot was in there that I don't think he was supposed to own that, uh, Vulcan triangle thingy with the bells. I think that's from like a mock, uh, a mock time. Um, that's one of the, I don't want to say religious symbols or something but it was something they ceremonial. had ceremonial ceremonial yeah it was a ceremonial yeah. chime thingy before the battle uh that was in there the 3d chess thingy which we also saw in his room as a boy yeah but uh i you know, quite liked it. It, it they you know they they took some care over it i mean they the, would be grinning frantically when designing that set of course yeah people pointed out that the chair is like the exact same type of chairs that they have in the original Star Trek, which oh, I did not, I did not take a look at it, but people online were like, "It's the same type of chair." Uh, mm. It's like, ah, so they've already started redecorating. It's one chair at a time, though. Um, <laughs> I did notice it's all, it's all done by committee. That's the depressing thing about the military. Yes, <laughs> one thing at a time, slowly but surely, they will be, uh, they will be all replaced. Uh, so I thought this was a more character-heavy episode, less plot-oriented. I mean, because the plot of this episode was really. Um, Hi, I'm Pike. I'm taking command. We're looking for this signal. Let's go to it. Oh, the signal's not... We can't find anything at the signal, but here's the Starfleet ship. Oh, somebody's there. Let's rescue them. And then that's the episode. Um, So not a lot of plot. So this was all really uh, character stuff. Introducing us to Pike. uh, Diving in a little bit deeper about Burnham and uh, Spock. Reminding us that bridge officers have names. Yep, reminding us that the bridge officers have names, and probably that they'll be larger, have larger roles in this season. Well, we were predicting in season one that they would start trying to trickle those bridge officers uh, into our brains, and they never quite got that off the ground. I mean, yeah. we got used to seeing them, but not really knowing who they were. Um, yeah. we, did, we did an episode of, of this show where we literally went through all of the, like, the bridge crew who've reoccurred more than you know more than a couple of times and um there's only a slight shift in personnel on that bridge now but um yeah now now they've started going hey this person remember this person look they've got a name let's say that name a couple of times let's move on yes you know that's fine yeah hopefully they will have a little bit more involvement uh and the, the other thing is they started introducing the things about that person which um if you go back and look at the introduction to pretty much any sort of long-running um, Star Trek character, mm-hmm. they, they've they always kind of really ham-fistedly, if that person has a particular characteristic, you learn about it at length the first time you see them. Yes. And then they repeat it in the next episode, just in case you forgot, that person is this. 
Um, yeah, I'd like the fact that we're getting a little bit more drip drip on this. So mm-hmm. we don't know yet why that person is part Android. We don't quite know what the cybernetics are for um, with her. We don't know what the um, we know about Saru's threat ganglia. We now know about his uh, eyesight, which is alluded to in the book. I think I can't remember. I knew that from somewhere before that. Um, so they're, they're sort of dripping it in, and and that's good. I would quite like to see a kind of um, given that the show isn't captain orientated and it, and it follows Burnham. Mm-hmm. I'd quite like to see a few episodes where it's not just sort of her and those above her, or her and her competitor for the top chair, yeah. or her and Tilly. I would actually now like to start seeing some interaction between her and some of the rest of the cast. I think that needs yep. to happen fairly soon, so we actually give a damn. Here's uh, uh, this could become a recurring segment on the show, but here's the nitpick I think of the week. Nitpick and of the week. Yep. We could use a we could use a drop, like a little jingle I'll, for I'll, that. I'll get one. Yeah. Uh, so this is in relation uh, this i i'm pretty sure this qualifies as a nitpick this is in relation to saru's enhanced vision yeah so they're looking at the ship on the view screen with the resolution and is the resolution <laughs> is as enhanced yes the resolution is as enhanced as it's going to get i'm I would imagine Saru's sight would work for him, like looking at an object, but looking at an image that's already enhanced as far as it can be enhanced. But it's enhanced um, within the visual spectrum that it's optimized for for those who are on the bridge. And let's be honest, Starfleet always does stuff for pretty much for humans. Ah. So her point wasn't the um, the like his ability to see, as in you know, to focus or whatever else or yes. distance or anything. It was the range of. Um, visual spectrum that he had yeah. so assuming that that screen carried higher uh light frequencies mm-hmm. than were able to be seen by the other people yeah. on the bridge i i kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt for that and thought yeah okay so he can see because yeah. given that we already have organic screen technologies i'm guessing organic technologies well we mm-hmm. know that they carry on developing those in the star trek universe so i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say yeah he's seeing a different part of the light spectrum there this is bound to happen for Saru, because it's, it's happened to a, a lot of characters in Star Trek that are uh, above human in mm. some regard. It'll be interesting to see. I believe the term that I saw coined was gumbification of his character. <laughs> uh, so it'll be interesting to see how often his sight would come in handy, but he doesn't use it. Uh, yeah. Much like how Data would have a certain skill set sometimes for a situation but then doesn't use that skill set in another situation where it would come in handy and actually on the eyesight thing alone i mean geordie okay we've seen a prototype of his um visor and oh, this, Jordy, this would happen well, with geordie as well yes well yeah it happened with geordie all the time is that wait you can see you know some random particles in the room around you but yet you're quite frequently taken by surprise by somebody hiding in a bush yeah seems odd yeah, LaForge. All I'm saying is, Jordy, it seems odd. I almost went off on a tangent here about something completely unrelated to Star Trek, because I just saw this recently in a movie trailer as well, where I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. But I'm, you know what, I'm not going to. I'll tell you off air, Ben, because it's not okay. related to Star Trek in any way. Don't, don't worry, listeners. Follow me on Twitter and I'll tell you what he said. <sighs> this is supposed to be between us, podcast or <laughs> confidentiality. Uh <laughs> But yeah, uh, overall, uh, I think this was a really good episode. 
I I thought they maybe dwelled a bit too much on the Spock Burnham flashback stuff. Mm. Honestly, I mean they're gonna have to help me out here to make it a little. Right now, I'm re- I'm way more interested by the connect the dot story. I'm less, I'm way less interested as to why Spock and Burnham because this feels like one of those things to me like they sort of just wrote themselves into a corner. Uh, by making Burnham part of Spock's family. So now they have to explain away why Spock never talks about Burnham and anything else, uh, which I think they I should think do the because ex- my brain needs to be satisfied in that manner. But mm. um, I'm not particularly interested in that story, though. Like, I, I kind of don't care. Now that you've. The excessive re- scene was the Alice in Wonderland scene, I thought they could have yes. done with the. Oh, Spock was an asshole to her when she turned out. I think we all kind of got why Spock might have been being an asshole. So mm-hmm. we probably didn't need the further bits of exposition on it. I think that's got to be right. Yeah. Um, I just... Yeah. So my brain demands that, like, you've written yourself into the situation, so you should fix it. But in all honesty, I'm not that interested in that part of the story. Mm. Uh, so I'm interested enough that I'm like, you know, you really should fix it because my, my brain will be mad otherwise. But uh, watching it kind of play out here, I'm just like, yeah, okay. Okay, I mean, I hope you explain it sooner rather than later, and I'm more interested in what the this mystery thing is. And they showed a, a you know, what to expect on Discovery this season trailer afterwards, which looked fantastic. Oh, and they say we didn't get that. Ah, yeah, we got Ooh. that after our, our episode. Um, uh, maybe it'll crop up on YouTube somewhere. Did you see Ben? Oh, it was... I, should, I should say for actually, that's a good point for UK uh, UK viewers. Um, that missed out on the short tracks. They are now available on Netflix. Yeah, I was just going to uh, say this. They put them up the day before. They're kind of hard to find. Um, but if you actually do the search and search for short track, if you try and search for Star Trek, it doesn't show up unless they fix the indexing now. Um, <laughs> so if you search for short track, in fact, if you search for track rather than anything else and dig through all of the other Star Trek stuff on there, you will eventually find it. But it's it's really weird the way that they've indexed them. I gotta say, I'm stunned that they put them in their own thing. Like, on, I, I presume this might be a thing you have on your Netflix as well. Uh, I'm presuming it's a Netflix-wide uh, feature, but for a lot of shows, especially things that they claim are Netflix, uh, claim as Netflix originals, they have, like, seasons or episodes, and then they have, like, a trailers and more section. Uh, yeah. And I just presume that's where they would have put the short treks in the trailers and more section. Because they're just yeah. shorts. I can't imagine. I was actually kind of surprised. Or maybe not even do that, but add like a little subcategory or something that just says short treks in there or shorts mm. or something and make them very easy to find. But apparently that's not how they want to go about this. So mm. make it difficult. Yeah. Um, okay. So any other thoughts on. Uh, this week's episode, Ben, and uh, if not, what would you give season two, episode one? Uh, strong season opener, not without its um, slightly jarring moments. Uh, I'm going to give them room for improvement here and say it's three and three quarters. Okay, which fe- feels harsh, but I'm I'm I've got high hopes for this franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're really close on this. I have the same exact thoughts that you had. It's it's got uh, it's got its moments of weakness, especially as we talked about. I, I feel like they 
spent too much time doing flashback things Mm -hmm. and uh, some of the comedy was jarring, but uh, I thought the good outweighed the bad and I went higher than you, Ben, but only very slightly higher. I gave it a four. Uh, A good start to season two and the general consensus largely seems very positive as well. Uh, I do Except wanna... in the usual angry parts of the internet. Of course, <laughs> yes. Uh, I will... Uh, I do want to bring up the Orville for a second, but before I mm-hmm. do that, uh, I'd like to thank the sponsors, Ben. Uh, this seems like as good a time as any to, to say, uh, head on over to cinemageekly.com slash Tickets or click the Adam Tickets link at the top of the page to pick yourself up some movie tickets or a gift card for the movie fans in your life. And now we can talk about the, uh, the at least the, I don't know, have you seen the last two episodes of the Orville? I've seen uh, episodes one, two, and three, I think. Okay, so uh, so you saw the episode about Alara, then the episode where she left the crew? Yes, yes. Yeah, so that one, that was a really good episode. and It I really think... was a solid bit of, well, let's, let's all just say it, it was a solid bit of Star Trek, wasn't it? It was, uh, and I was kind of caught off guard uh you know the weird thing is because uh, she was one of my favorite characters on that show i thought she was um um already pretty interesting but had a lot of room to you know grow uh mm-hmm. and they uh felt like are taking her off of the show but when i went to look for news about i think her name is halston sage i think is the yeah. actress all the talk is that there's nothing confirming that she's leaving the show. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you'd think when uh, when a performer is leaving a production, they usually, you know, announce these sort of things, like uh, they're leaving the show and they're being... Um, a new cast member is replacing them or, or something. But nothing like this has come out, so I'm wondering if she had to take time off for some reason and she's going to appear later in the season or if this is just part of a story that they're telling... Uh, yeah. I'm not sure, but the episode itself was actually really good. Uh, and so you didn't get to see the most recent episode then the one that aired on the same night as this episode of discovery. Not yet. Although I may be watching it shortly. Okay. Well, I don't want to spoil it then, but I will say that it is another really good episode and it ties back to an episode from the first season. It's a follow up from an nice. episode that took place in the first season. And it is also pretty good. This is one of the things I've noticed with the Orville this season is that they do a little bit of com- like their heavy bits of comedy that they do tends to be very early in the episode. Yeah, and it's just it's uh, it's the whole thing. It's, it's this is how we got commissioned. We'll we'll stay true to what we promised Fox, but equally, this is made by people who want to make you know a run on of uh, of next gen. Yes, and uh, so he's. It feels like Seth MacFarlane is doing the heavy bits early on, and in the the middle and near the end of the episode, they'll intersplice every now and again some lighter, more brief humor to kind of break Mm. things up a little bit, but it doesn't feel nearly as heavy as the first season. The one thing that remains kind of jarring to me, I guess, is they'll have... Aliens, like really interesting and cool looking alien design and makeup. But then they just talk like people from Family Guy. Like it yeah. feels like a Family Guy thing where 
Uh, like the dude with the two esophaguses. Yeah. What's up, dudes? Like, he's, you know, that guy from Seinfeld, or he's like Elaine's boyfriend in Seinfeld. I'm sure he's been in yeah. other things. He's been in a million things, but that's the only thing I ever remember him from. Uh, <laughs> and he's just, you know, sup, bro. Like, he talks like that. It's always jarring to me. Like, it to me, those things stand out in a in a bad way, I guess. Like, I don't... Yeah, me too. Like, it... it it's it's kind of funny at first, but then it's like that's the character though. Like mm. <laughs> that's what they're like all the time. It's just weird to me. I don't know. Um, but this this is I mean this is squarely down to as I said before. This is the deal that was done with Fox to get this show made. It's got to yeah. be. He does have a joke. Um, he does have a joke that made me giggle in this episode that you haven't seen yet, where uh, he says "mellow alert," which. Uh, <laughs> really got a chuckle out of me so i thought that one was pretty good but uh yeah so there's and i just feel like there's a lot of characters like that that like norm mcdonald's yafid and there was a, a few other ones that are um like that and i feel like there's maybe too many of them too that are just weird looking aliens but they talk like people from the early to mid 2000s uh it's kind of strange uh he did use uh in this episode in the episode you haven't seen yet he does use a couple of Billy Joel songs and people asked him online, like, why are you using like all this modern music? Why is there no future? Like, why is there no future music? And Seth MacFarlane rightfully pointed out, have you ever seen a movie or TV show that has done like quote future music without it being corny or bad yeah. or just like, cause you can't, you know, it's as much as I enjoy back to the future too. Uh, which I know people think is like, I think it turns out, I think that's the one people like the least. I don't know. That's the one I always thought was like super cool. Uh, like, you know, a movie that tries to predict what the future is going to look like always. And unless you're being very conservative and things only look a little bit more futuristic than they do now, everything tends to be like way off in terms of uh, how you think the future is going to look. And probably I more think so. There are a couple of, there are a couple of movies I think that predicted, you know, maybe in the seventies or eighties, uh, the arrival of dubstep quite successfully. Uh, <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. But, electronic but then music. the weird thing is, between you know the birth of Skrillex and the date <laughs> yeah. that that film was made, yeah. there was an awful long period, several decades, where everyone heard it and thought, you know, that's ridiculous, mate. Yeah. Um, but I suppose the other justification is that music uh, does go in cycles. Uh, yeah. Admittedly, at the moment, we're only talking about over decades, but. I don't see any particular reason why it wouldn't go in cycles into the mm -hmm. into the future as well. It's not to say there wouldn't be, you know, some evolution of it, yeah. but I don't see why we'd write it off somehow. Maybe those things could end up being self-fulfilling prophecies where you make future music and then somebody <laughs> born many years later is like a retro kid who goes back and watches this old show and he's like oh man that music is cool how come nobody's making this music well then... let, let's be honest that's almost definitely happened already hasn't it somewhere yes. there is yes I mean, really probably will... yeah i was about to say there will be a link somewhere to someone who's taken future music from 70s film and turned it into now music yes and it's probably terrible which is why we can't think of any immediate examples of it <laughs> yeah. um yeah but i think the other thing is as well you know look at the tendency towards reboot re-release remaster mm -hmm. oh yeah um and yeah, okay, music hasn't suffered as badly from that as uh, film and television. But right. um, you know, I mean, every big rock band uh, from the last thirty years has had a re-released, remastered version of um, you know a seminal album or a live show. Uh, you, you know, you, you, 
I don't I don't see any reason why yes um we we should ignore the prospect of it in the same way you know he's got Kermit the Frog on his desk in in uh, in his ready room and mm-hmm. you know Chris Pine listens to uh Beastie Boys Beastie Boys and yeah I, I don't really have a problem with that notionally I I don't see that music would necessarily disappear in that sense yeah um so I think you'll like that episode of uh the Orville when you watch it I mean the general idea of the plot is something it's am- amalgamations of other things we've seen in Star Trek before because everything is going to be at this point yeah uh, having done like uh, five shows or whatever it is that most of them had seven seasons 24 mm. episodes a season Star Trek did it yeah there's a just a just a ton of those so you're you're yeah. gonna you're gonna run into a lot of amalgamations of various episodes, but it's a good. But that's what people who who are enjoying the Orville want. They, it, it's a nostalgia show as much as anything else. Yeah, um, so it's really enjoyable. Okay, so uh, I guess we should wrap it up because we. Well, how does we do? We have we talked about the shelved Star Trek Four movie? I can't remember. I mean, there's not. Oh, a great you know, no, we haven't had a, than... We haven't had a chance oh. to talk about the fact that it is presumed shelved. TLDR version, I guess, is look. Um, there were some really bad negotiations with people's pay, so I'm thinking um, Pine and Hemsworth. There yep. was the timetabling of the Star Wars movies, which um, you know, the Star Trek reboot universe was there to fill in a hole. I think a lot of people would say, mm-hmm. um, and now Star Wars has filled in its own hole. If that's not too horrible an image for you and uh, and in the meantime you know paramount are now turning all their attention into not just discovery but discovery plus 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 the you know the the various spin-offs and um yes. miniseries and everything. do you know I, I if you told me at the time that the first star trek uh kelvin movie was being made that mm. you know that was being shelved i'd have been gutted um even the second and third, which I've made my views on those known on here. I don't hate them, but I, I'm, I'm not in love with them. Mm. Um, I would have been disappointed if those hadn't been made too. But I'm so utterly indifferent to the lack of a Star Trek movie from the Kelvin universe. Yep. I just don't care. I, you know, if they were saying, oh, we're going to make, you know, the long awaited Voyager movie or something, then I would be very different about that <laughs> um or even if you know yes we're you know news about the the first discovery movie which will happen eventually not for quite a while yet but it will it will happen mm. um i think then i'd probably be um distressed too but at the minute you know eh, I, I don't really care is that is that fickle of me i guess it is um you know as as far as my star trek fandom goes when i say i don't care as much that is to say that I care way more about many other things that I don't care about. Like I would still <laughs> love for this movie to get made and I would still love to go see it. Mm. Um, but that it's not getting made because I know I've got like Orville, which is a often a nostalgia button for uh 90s star Trek. Plus I've got mm. discovery. Plus I've got a goddamn captain Picard television show coming this year, uh, the animated stuff, which I'm not as excited about, but I'm We've interested in. Admiral with their own show now as well. Uh, there's a lot of Star Trek to look forward to, so not you know getting the, to see this movie isn't as big of a killer as it would have been, say, a few years ago. I think the disappointing thing about it is that um, 
it means we're unlikely to see Zachary Quinto, uh, Zoe Saldana. Um, actually, do you know, I've just realised as well, when I was about to run through, you know, the whole of that, that cast, yeah, and I'd cast. like to have seen more of Anton Yelchin as well, but obviously that won't happen. But no. I, the ones I'm disappointed that we won't see more of in those roles are Quinto and um, Saldana. I think they were really very good. Now, that's probably going to go one of two ways. Either if Orville carries on being the success that it is, um, mm. uh, globally it seems, uh, or if Discovery starts to shake off some of the haters a bit and starts to be a bit more talked about, mm. uh, which will happen when it starts getting network airings rather than just net, uh, Netflix, I think. Yep. Which, again, that, that will happen sooner or later. Um, I think one or other of those shows will have enough money and attraction probably for Quinto to take a perhaps a guest visit to it um although he seems to be a bit precious about his involvement in the Star Trek universe uh and Zoe Saldana I could imagine her turning up in either of those uh I if I had to put money on it right now I guess we'll see Zoe Saldana at some point in the Orville now I wouldn't be surprised because he gets a lot of people for the Orville well he's already had two two um Trek canon doctors in there yeah, well, in the yeah, in the uh, in one episode, in one episode, yeah, uh, and one playing a really bad guy as well. Uh, Doctor Flox was a horrible person in that episode. I always thought Flox was pretty unpleasant. Anyway, I have to say, so <laughs> I was not surprised that he was the nasty one out of the two of them. Uh, so yeah, uh, it was the it was the Pine and Hemsworth thing that put that derailed the movie for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but then the director, um, I gosh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head right now, um, but she would have been the first female director of a Star Trek film, and yeah. uh, this thing was derailed for so long, uh, they came and offered her a directing job for the Game of Thrones prequel show that HBO yeah. was doing, and she's like, yep, uh, and she peaced out, so they were left without a director, and with the Pine and Hemsworth thing not looking like it was going to get resolved, and with all this other Star Trek stuff going on, S.J. Clarkson. Sorry, S.J. Clarkson, of course. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so they've, uh, yeah, it looks like they've they've put it in the back corner of the closet somewhere, and who knows if it'll get revived. Uh, no idea about the proposed Quentin Tarantino story idea, which would not have taken place in the Kelvin timeline. I think that may still evolve into a project uh, connected to Discovery because just think about which of those universes is he a better fit for. Right. Or or maybe the Picard uh, show as well, which is just a miniseries, but... Maybe. I feel like maybe that's probably a little bit beneath Tarantino, but... Um... Yeah, maybe. I'll tell you what, watching... Maybe, but he um, was inspired. Uh, he was... In I mean, at least this is the word, is that he was inspired by the Yesterday's Enterprise episode of Next Gen, which True. is the thing that made him want to, like, write the Star Trek story in the first place, so... Um, and that actor being directed by that director is... Uh, I mean, that's got to be gold for a studio, surely. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... Uh, did we close things? We didn't. You interrupted me before I had a chance to close things I'm out. Sorry. We had to talk about the Star Trek four. Uh, backburnering. Uh, okay, so that's it for the show for this week. Uh, but fear not, you can always go to cinemageekly.com to check out the archives of this show, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, and Stitcher. Just search for I'm a Doctor, not a podcast. 
hit subscribe, and that way you can come back and hear us next week. Hopefully, we will have successfully rescued Aurora from her asteroid prison uh, in time to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 2. It's called New Eden. New Eden.